Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. We are very pleased to welcome Dr. Natasha Lee into our EVE podcast today. Natasha graduated from the University of Adelaide and is currently completing a residency in equine surgery at the University of Queensland. Her case report was published in Equine Veterinary Education in 2019. It describes the standing repair of an articular dorsal medial oblique fracture of the proximal third metacarpal bone in a racing standard bread. Hello, Natasha, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank thank you for having me. So to get us started, please could you tell us about the signament and presenting clinical picture in this mare? Yeah, the horse that presented to us was a four-year-old standard bred pacing mare and her injury occurred mid-race, eight days prior to presentation and resulted in acute severe lameness in the right fore. But because there was no obvious swelling, the trainer actually decided to box rest the horse as he suspected a foot abscess. When the horse remained lame, the referring vet was called, who then diagnosed a dorsoproximal MC3 fracture. On presentation to us, the mare was severely lame at the walk, and there was a firm swelling over the dorsal proximal aspect of the right fore cannon bone, which produced a marked pain response to palpation. Radiographs revealed a closed displaced fracture of the proximal dorsal medial aspect of the third metatarsal bone, which was 11 centimetres in length and had a width of two centimetres at the articular margin. So as you state in this, your paper, this is a fairly unusual case presentation for a fracture. Please could you tell us a little more about this? Third metacarpal bone fractures are a common type of fracture in both thoroughbred and standardbred racehorse populations. But the majority of these cases are the end result of a stress-related injury rather than acute trauma and commonly occur in the dorsal cortex or the condyles of the bone. However, the proximal dorsal medial MC3 fracture that we have in this case is comparatively rare. So were you able to find any similar case reports in the literature? And if so, how did these help you to manage this case? There is a single case series by Ross and Martin from 1992. And this report covered seven cases, all standard failures as well. However, these failures were younger in age, their fractures were shorter, and only one of them was a complete fracture. All of their cases returned to soundness. However, our Phillies fracture was more chronic at presentation and there was a displaced articular component which was still causing lameness eight days post-injury. So as such, we were a little more cautious with giving our prognosis. We decided to manage this case standing as the mare was a good candidate temperament-wise and it also eliminates the inherent risks of general anesthesia in orthopaedic cases. Catastrophic failure following fixation of MC3 condyle fractures is being reported as high as 42%. And there's also a marked increase in risk associated with anesthetic death of fracture cases compared to others. Right, so there's some really interesting statistics there. So whilst planning the surgery, why did you decide to manage this fracture with lag screws rather than external fixation? External fixation wasn't really quite required in this case as the fracture was only minimally displaced and the limb still had axial stability. Internal fixation using a plate was also considered, but we didn't use this as there was no evidence of propagating lines and the fracture plane could clearly be seen breaking out of the diaphyseal cortex. In addition, plate fixation usually requires a general anesthesia and would have increased cost, increased number of implants and a prolonged surgical time associated with it. 
Brilliant. So please could you describe the surgery to our listeners? Of course. So understanding sedation using detomidine and butorphanol, um, given it's a bolus IV, and using median and ulnar perineural blocks as well as a ring block, we performed a minimally invasive closed reduction and fixation of the fracture. The mare was positioned on a rubber mat floor stops and the limb was aseptically prepared and draped as routine for our clinic. The limb was aligned with the body and the foot placed perpendicular to the floor in a normal weight-bearing position. Surgical staples as well as 18-gauge needles were used in conjunction with radiographs to guide screw placement and three 5.5mm cortical bone screws were inserted in lag fashion via stab incisions in a triangular orientation. The skin incisions were closed using absorbable suture with a single cruciate and a full limb modified Robert Jones bandage was applied at the end. And so you mentioned in your paper that you noticed postoperatively that the most distal screw was too long. Please could you tell us a little more about this and how you decided to manage this issue? A technical error was made in the use of an overly long screw for the most distal abaxial screw, and this was made due to the limited number of intraoperative radiographs that were being obtained. But based on intraoperative rads, the threads of the screws clearly didn't engage the splint bone, and this was judged to be our priority. As such, we decided not to replace the screw. The intention was to remove the screw prior to racing if it caused any lameness. However, the man never showed any signs of lameness and as such, the screw was left in them to this day. Okay. And what are the other difficulties in attempting this procedure in a standing animal? The main limitations associated with any standing surgery are largely based around patient selection and the success of the procedure is dependent on patient's compliance and they're willing to remain still for the duration of the surgery. So, of course, adequate sedation and perineural analgesia is essential. We also decided to use a thick rubber matting placed over the floor of the stops to minimise the transmission of vibrations from the drill to the horse's limb. And surgeon experience does play an important role in standing surgery as there's a greater risk of patient movement and subsequent breaks in sterility or even instrument breakage mid-procedure. Currently, we also require a general anesthesia to perform a CT at the University of Queensland, so this limited us diagnostically. However, come October, we'll have a new machine which is capable of performing CTs standing up to the carpus, so that's quite exciting. Well, it certainly sounds like despite these factors, the surgery went very smoothly, and certainly having um, a CT that you can use um, for standing surgery in the future, I think, will be really helpful for you. How did you manage the mare post-operatively and what sort of prognosis are you expecting her to have? Within 24 hours of the surgery, the mare's comfort improved rapidly. And 72 hours post-op, the mare was actually sound at the walk. The mare was discharged five days post-surgery and confined to store rest for a further 60 days. The mare showed progressive radiographic healing and at 10 weeks post-op was gradually turned out into a paddock for an additional three months. At six months, the mare resumed bracing and has remained sound with five wins and three placings last season. So we're really pleased with her. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a fantastic result for you. And so has this case influenced your recommendations for future similar cases? Of course, but rather than being case specific, I think it's more of a reflection of the direction that the profession is going in regards to standing orthopedic surgery. 
Today, with a following experience, standing fracture repair can be a good choice in preference for general anaesthesia because it reduces cost, time, and expense associated with the procedure. Furthermore, the weight-bearing position of the limb allows for easier horizontal screw placement, but as I said earlier, probably the most desirable reason for performing orthopedic procedure standing is that it reduces or eliminates the inherent risk associated with general anaesthesia and recovery. Yeah, so I think it's really encouraging that you were able to manage this fracture with standing surgery and that the MEFs had such a successful return to racing. So finally, do you have any recommendations for vets who are managing similar cases? I do think this case highlights the importance of prompt veterinary attention. Although this may have had a good outcome, generally a prolonged time between injury and repair results in a poorer prognosis. I also think that standing surgery offers a treatment option that's generally less expensive than fixation under GA, but provides a better athletic prognosis than just conservative management alone. Orthopedic fixation does require specialist training, though, and I am fortunate as a surgical resident at UQ that I get to experience and learn from a wide variety of such cases, and I have to thank our referring vets for sending all of these in. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Natasha, and for sharing this case with us. I'm sure it'll be very helpful for other equine vets to hear about your experiences. Hello, and welcome to this British Equine Veterinary Association podcast. Today, we are meeting Dr. Eugenio Silan Garcia to discuss his recent case reports about a novel approach to treat a proximal, incomplete, and articular fracture of the third metatarsal bone. Eugenio is a senior lecturer in equine surgery at the Royal Dick School of Veterinary Science in Edinburgh. So good evening, Eugenio. Uh, good evening, Chris. Good evening. So um, obviously these fractures are relatively uncommon in general practice. So I would first like to ask you if you could outline for us how common they actually are and what you postulate their cause to be. Um, as, as you mentioned, you know, they are quite, they are tremendously uncommon, uh, but uh, we, we believe the, the, the happens due to stress, the stress of the, of the bone doing the high speed work on these horses, but um, it's not many case reports um, or any cases just described in the literature. Um, some of them have been just uh, repaired on the genesthesia, but it's not an, a really common factor for, for therapy. It's actually it's quite unusual and uncommon. Okay, um, so you know, if we are presented with uh, this type of fracture in practice, um, what are the current treatment options we have available to us, and why did you decide on the approach um, outlined in your paper, given its novelty over any other? Um, good question. You know, um, the, the the first thing you presented with these type of fractures in practice. The first thing is to say these fractures are savable and these horses, these fractures, they can be repaired and these horses, they can come back to have some athletic function. Um, the current treatment is, can be just, um, you know, a double plating under GNA anesthesia. Uh, you can try as well um, like a screw fixation under GNA anesthesia. But the novel of this technique is uh, this was done under uh, standing sedation and peroneural nerve block. So that really facilitating the, you know, you don't, you don't have the risk of the of the recovery during general anesthesia, plus the cost is uh, is reduced, and you reduce a massive risk um, of becoming a catastrophic fracture during recovery. What are your recommendations in the initial emergency management of these cases when we find them then? Um, 
obviously in your paper there was a, a, a mild fracture propagation. Um, and do you feel there was anything that could have been done differently in it to prevent that happening? Um, that is a good question, Chris. The main, uh, the main uh, challenging you find uh, with this fracture as uh, from the clinical point of view as a clinician on the, on the road is just uh, actually just knows these fractures. Um, when we presented with this case, this horse became very lame after a piece of work on the gallops. Um, it was uh, tremendously sore by still full weight bearing on that leg. And when we press around the metatarsal area, especially, especially the proximal aspect of the metatarsal area, you can feel um, the horse was resented with a lot of pain. So we, we decided to just uh, take a set of x-rays. And actually, in the initial x-rays, we didn't find anything. We took several obliques to try to rule out any possible fractures, um, and we didn't find uh, anything. So I will say, in this case, when you have a horse with this very lame and nothing on the X-ray, some pain around the area, the first thing will be just uh, make sure the horse doesn't really uh, moving too much into the stable so you can cross-tie the animal or you can just reduce the size of the stable. Also as well, you have to be very careful with the painkillers. You cannot load in these animals with a lot of painkillers because it's the risk of extra um, weight on that leg and probably just propagation of the of the of the fracture. So in this particular case, we only found was a problem around there when we uh, we did a scintigraphy, we did a bone scan a few days after the initial onset because the horse didn't do well and it still was quite sore and painful around the proximal metatarsal area. But the main thing is you suspecting a fracture is just uh, make sure um, the horse doesn't load in that leg too much and this doesn't go up and down in the stable so the, the fracture doesn't propagate. Um, you can think about as well ways to stabilize, but actually you, you have a fracture at that level uh, or you're unsure, you need to do a rubber joint or a cast bandage, but you have to go all the way up, up to the proximal aspect of the tibia um, without really knowing what what's going on there. It's, uh, it's a big call to do that because maybe you're just dealing with a cellulitis, some infection, or even just a septic joint. At that stage, in the first stage, we didn't really know what was the problem. Okay. Yeah, that generally happens quite a lot in practice, really. Exactly. Um, so, um, after you obviously reached this diagnosis, um, which was obviously a bit of an initial diagnostic challenge, um, and decided on your surgery, um, could you just outline how that surgery went and what you felt uh, the biggest challenges were when you were performing it? Yeah, that is, um, that is something we just, um, you know, what we did after after the diagnostic, we took another set of x-rays, we found was uh, uh, an incomplete articular fracture of the porosima metatarsal. So we have a conversation with the trainer. Um, we advise two options. You know, the first I will, uh, I will advise, we can try uh, double plating under general anesthesia. Um, I wasn't really sure just like a screw and the anesthesia will be enough to hold him because the the risk of the recovery and the other the other options you say just try to repair standing uh, try to repair this fracture standing um, as to the to our knowledge we've never been attempt to repair standing but we believe it was possible um, one of the main uh, challenges for uh, standing fracture repair is basically to have a group of individuals around the horse that really know what to do and because you have a really a, a small frame of time i would say four to five minutes an hour is where you need to you know just uh, to do this surgery and then the horse need to be 
quiet during that moment and not moving. And after that time, the horses started uh, moving despite is that sedated. Um, one of the biggest challenges I will remember of this case, it was a no very cooperative animal. It was a, a slightly difficult mare. So just to, to get the clip and the nerve blocks and, and make sure they didn't feel anything on the legs was uh, slightly challenging. But after that, Perhaps uh, the main thing is just get the get the screws in the right position. Um, that I found that quite challenging, and they need quite a lot of preparation pre-surgery, because we need to think we we are dealing with X-rays, so I, they are dimensional by dimensional uh, images. You don't have the full three-dimensional picture you will have in a CT or in something in another diagnostic modality. So you really need to assess several. Uh, uh, oblique images to know where to place your screws from where to where to reduce the factor gap. I can see that um, how the uh, temperament of the horse plays a massive part in, in your decision there. Um, so um, after um, the surgery was completed um, and say, you know, for us as, as general first opinion practitioners, um, when we get these horses home, um, back at the yard, um, what should we be looking out for post-operatively when managing these cases? Uh, and what prognosis and time frame should we be giving our trainers? Because obviously in this case, um, it was quite a good surgical outcome uh, long term with the horse going back into training and racing again. Um, the, the main thing is um, we send this horse home quite quick and I will say you know just um, the one of the things obviously the I like to keep them in antibiotics for a minimum of a week um, because obviously it's a risk always a risk of infection and, and also as well painkillers but make sure uh, you don't loading a lot of painkillers on that horse because if you give quite a lot of painkillers they're going to be very comfy um, they can just loading a lot of uh, a lot of pressure on that leg um, I will probably just recommend the exercise what we did with this case is bandaging the leg for, uh, you know, for two to four weeks. That is what I will say. And obviously the bandage is more try to protect in the surgical area because you want to get a support bandage. You have to really put a bandage all the way up to the proximal tibia, which is not really, you know, uh, suitable for some animals. They become tremendously stressed. So you always... Um, you always have the bit of the doubt in between the bandage is going to produce more damage than actually is going to help. So in this case, we keep a light bandage to cover in the area. Um, we we decide to re-X-ray in four weeks' time to see um, to see what's going on. And this is one of the most scariest time when you re-X-ray four to six weeks after the, the initial fracture because actually sometimes you can see in some surgeries, you can see the surgical gap or the surgical fracture look even wider despite you reduce the, the fracture with your lag screw technique. And that is due to the osteoclactic activity around the bone is making the edge of the, of the fracture look slightly wider. But I wouldn't be worried at that, at that stage because as soon as the horse is comfortable and the leg doesn't show any signs of infection, is the horse is doing well. So it just, um, it just started loading more on that leg. And, and then you can start thinking about the next step. So, so how long is the general recovery for these horses then? I would, I would, I would say, Chris, about uh, twelve. I would say twelve weeks. We're looking at a minimum of twelve weeks. You know, you need to, you need to thinking about. Uh, ideally, you will have uh, four to six weeks in box race, uh, four to six weeks on, um, you know, on, on horse walker, and then you can turn up in a small paddock, and after, you know, after that time, uh, after those initial twelve weeks. 
and you can think, okay, I'm going to give another month uh, on a field and see how it's doing. So I will treat it, um, uh, you know, this type of fracture, the same that you will treat a condylar fracture, a non-displayed condylar fracture, mm -hmm. which is normally you aiming to get those horses, uh, not back to racing, but you aiming to get those horses uh, starting moving uh, before 12 weeks to start in loading and get better uh, vascular supply into the fracture gap. Okay, great. Um, thank you for that. Um, just to finish then, um, could you just give us a little bit of a summary about what you feel the importance of this um, case report is and when it comes to future management of these type of fractures? I think it's probably just the take-home message is these fractures that can be repaired, uh, these horses that can come back to competition, and the cost to repair these fractures is not uh, as high as it will be uh, general anesthesia um, and using double plating technique will be just uh, you know really mass market reduce on the on the on the price so they give more chance to to the owners to commit and actually the aftercare is better because you you place these screws through stab incisions so to get the chance to get them infected is quite unusual um, so that that would be my take home message. Brilliant. Um Thank you very much for that and thank you for meeting us today and talking to us about your paper. Um, so um, that concludes this British Equine Veterinary Association trial podcast. Um, thank you very much, Eugenio. Thank you very um, much, Chris. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And um, we will see you next time. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this equine veterinary education podcast more on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash eve <laughs>